Good morning. It is uh, good to be here. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, and it is good to worship. Just a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, women of the church, they have you have your uh, monthly meeting on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, as well as your Bible study on 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening um, in the Fellowship Hall as well. Um, Sunday night Bible study will resume next week. We will meet also in the Fellowship Hall. Um, and we will be doing the Relational Wisdom 360 series um, as we begin. In the, If you need a study guide for that, please let me know so I can get them ordered. Um, tonight, I know this is short notice, but today at 4 o'clock in, at Old Providence ARP Church, Mitchell Sutton will be commissioned both by Presbytery as well as by um, the U.S. Army. Mitchell has preached for me a couple times. He is entering the chaplain program in the U.S. Army. He will take his oath of office as well as be commissioned tonight um, for that process. So if you're able, it's 4 o'clock at the Old Providence ARP Church in Rafine, Steele's Tavern. Just depends on which direction you leave as to what their address is. So any other announcements? If not, our call to worship today comes from Psalm 2. This is one of the messianic psalms. It reminds us that God not only is king, but has appointed his king over all of creation. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are here because we take refuge in you. And remind us that because of that, because of the work of your King, your Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are blessed in him. Remind us as well, as we choose leaders, that we should choose ones that fear you, And in the absence of those, we should choose ones that will come closest to upholding your law, your righteous rule in the land. And then we are called to remind them that they serve at your pleasure. And so help us to worship you well as we gather here and as we engage in our culture politically. And remind us that we serve well by beginning with prayer. By praying as you have taught us, our Father, which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. God has set his king upon his holy hill. So we have an opportunity to sing of the kingship of Jesus. So please take Bible songs and turn in it to Bible song number three. And let us stand and lift our voices and join in singing of the kingship of Jesus. be seated. In Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, God has laid out for us his Ten Commandments. Before he lays out those Ten Commandments, he reminds us that he is the God. He reminded the Israelites that he was the God who 
who rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he reminds us that he is the God who has rescued us from slavery to sin. And then he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let's take a few moments in silence to confess those times when we have placed other gods before our God. People of God, lift up your heads and know that the Redeemer has come. He has released you from your sins and he has set you at right, reconciled with God. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 15, as Jesus talks with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Hear the word of the Lord. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with one washed hands does not make him unclean. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time where we remember that God has provided for us and he calls us to worship him by providing our tithes and offerings to him. We have the basket here at the front, we have the plate in the back, and we can mail in our tithes and offerings as well.
Our God and Father above, when we consider everything that you own, you own everything. All of the universe is yours. What little bit we give seems to be a drop in the bucket, a meager gift, a meager offering. And yet we give as worship to you. May you be pleased by it. And may you use what has been given today so that your glory might shine into the darkness of this world so that your gospel might be proclaimed to the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymn book. Turn with me to hymn number 244. We have professed that the king that God has appointed is seated in Zion upon the holy hill. And now we remember that we await his return. So let us remain standing and sing, Come Thou Almighty King, hymn number 244. Please be seated. We join with the saints who have come before us, the saints who will come after us, in professing what it is that we believe. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. 
he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, before we approach God's throne in prayer, I forgot to announce earlier, we do have uh, some updated um, directories. I think there's a couple left up here in the front. We'll have some more next week. Um, there is one. Uh, the, the Chris Vances do not have a home phone number, so you can strike that number out. Um, but uh, if, you, if there's any other issues within there, please let us know, and we'll get them updated. Either myself or Janie. Um, let one of us know. Um, any prayer updates today? I have a good friend. I, we've prayed for him before for some health issues. They have some other issues going on right now that will remain unspoken, but a good friend of mine, Kim and Becky Payne, I interned with Kim while I was in seminary. Um, they have some issues that they would like lifted up in prayer. So please pray for Kim and Becky Payne. Anything else? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, as we considered your word in Sunday school today, we thought of Exodus. We thought of Moses' birth, and we were reminded in that time that oftentimes when you seek to change the course of the lives of your people, whether it be through rescue, redemption, or whatever plans you have, you often in Scripture start with a birth, sometimes a miraculous birth, sometimes an ordinary birth, as it was with Moses. But we're reminded that if redemption, if rescue comes through a birth, then it comes in your timing, because the birth of a rescuer means that we have to wait till they are of an age where they can rescue. And so, Lord, remind us, as we approach your throne seeking answers to prayer, that you answer in your perfect, holy, and glorious timing. Oftentimes we get frustrated with your timing because it seems like to us it just takes way too long. We live in a microwave world where we can have the answers to questions in seconds, where we can microwave our food and have food that should have that in the past would have taken hours. We can have it in moments. And Lord, we want your answers in the same way. We want them right now. We want them our way, and we want them right now. And we confess that. We confess that oftentimes we are unwilling to wait for your glorious timing. We are unwilling to be content with your answers to prayer. And so, Lord, forgive us for that. And help us to turn to find a resting, a holy contentment in you. Lord, you are great. You are God. You are glorious and you are sovereign over all things. And you work all things for your good, for your glory, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we're reminded even as we think of that verse, that your good purpose is our glorification. That process that starts with your knowing us from before the foundation of the world, from, from you 
predestining us, to, to you calling us, to you justifying us, sanctifying us, and ultimately glorifying us in your timing. So Lord, help us to be content in your power. Help us to be content in your will. And forgive us for those times when we kick against the goads, when we get impatient with you and do not wait for you well. Lord, we have these prayer requests before us. Many of us have friends and loved ones who are ailing. Many of us who have friends have friends and loved ones who are, are bending over under the weight of this world. Many of us have friends and loved ones who just don't know for sure where their next meal, their next whatever will be coming from. So Lord, help us to lift them up. Help us to help them as we are able in ways that honor and glorify you. Sometimes that means we fall to our knees and intercede on their behalf before you. I pray for Kim in that way right now. Lord, as he and Becky are bearing under the weight of this world, lift them up, sustain them, strengthen them, and remind them that you walk along with them, that you guide them, that you lead them. You are their rod and their staff of comfort in the midst of the dark valleys. And Lord, for everybody else on our list that is dealing with their own dark valleys, we ask that you remind them that you carry the light before them. Help them to trust you as many times you have led us there. To find the places of growth, the places of strength that we could not have found in the pastures and beside the still waters. That you have led us there for growth and that you have led us there for your glory. We don't understand it, but help us to be content in it. Lord, remind us that our salvation came through the darkest of valleys as the Son of God took the weight of sin upon His shoulders on the cross. And so any suffering that we undergo finds meaning in that. And as Paul says, brings that to a greater completion, a greater glory as it works out in our own life, the sufferings of this world. Remind us of Your glory in the midst of them. Lord, we pray for Mitchell today as he will be commissioned both by the religious body, the Christian body that he is aligned with through Presbytery and also by the United States Army. And walk with him through that difficult path of training for chaplaincy and then being a chaplain in the U.S. Army. Help him to represent you well, both in his training and also in his service to you and to his country. We pray for our leaders of this church. I pray for our elders and I lift them up and I ask that you strengthen them for the task that you have before them of ministering the word and ministering the prayer to this body. I pray for the deacons as they have been given the task of ministering to the physical needs of both this building and this body. Lord, help both are both groups of leaders to honor you well. I pray for our county leaders as they seek to enforce laws within the county. 
as they seek to give direction to Greenbrier County as it moves forward in its many different ways. I pray specifically right now for the leaders in the health department as they are trying to manage this virus, this pandemic here on a local level. Give them wisdom in that. Give our school board, our school superintendent wisdom as they make decisions soon on whether or not school starts and when it starts and how it starts and protect our teachers and our students as they meet face to face. I pray for our state leaders, for our state government as they are making decisions, as they are enforcing laws, lead them to enforce those laws and make those decisions wisely and in a way that honors and glorifies you. On a national level, I pray that same thing. Turn the leaders of this nation toward you. May they seek your glory. May they realize that they have been raised up by you and placed in that position to restrain sin in our country and help them to take that reality seriously. They have been placed in that position to stop injustice in our culture, in our country. Help them to take that seriously. And remind them, remind me, that we will stand before you, whether leaders of your church or leaders of this country, and we will give an account for the leadership that we gave. Did we lead according to your will? Did we lead according to your law? So Lord, remind us of that and strengthen us for the job that we have been given. Lord, we know that you hold the hearts of the leaders in your hand. And you turn them like you turn the river. Turn their hearts toward you. And turn the hearts of the people of this country toward you as well. Lord, you have broken through into this nation before in revival. As faithful men stood in the pulpit and proclaimed your gospel, you sent your spirit upon them and you lit a fire in this country for your gospel. Do that again. Lord, there are men across this nation who will stand in pulpits today and faithfully proclaim your gospel to a world, to a country that does not want to hear it. Make it powerful. Start a spiritual fire in this country once again and turn hearts toward you. Lord, we are doing the ordinary work. Work through it extraordinarily so that your gospel might be proclaimed and cherished once again in this country, in this county, in this community, in this church. We pray all this knowing that you hear. We pray all this knowing that you have acted mightily in the past. We pray all this knowing that we are secure in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Our scripture from today comes from the book of Proverbs. And so please turn with me. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 13. Solomon is moving on, moving along. Actually, we'll talk a little bit how he's taken a bit of a breather here in his teaching to his son, giving him a little bit of summary teaching as well as adding some teaching to it. But. We are in Proverbs chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. 
A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his lips, a man enjoys good things, but the unfaithful have a craving for violence. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The righteous hate what is false, but the wicked bring shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards the man of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. He who scorns instruction will pay for it, but he who respects a command is rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Good understanding wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but fools detest turning from evil. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. The righteous eat to their heart's content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. Let's pray. Our God and Father, as we choose our path, guide us to the right choice. Turn our hearts toward you as we choose between wisdom and folly. And as we choose wisdom, give us the guidance of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, we finished Proverbs chapter 9, and I think it's important for us to kind of go back and rethink what we learned, what we thought about, what we heard from Solomon in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, because those were his, his introduction to the book of Proverbs. And since we have left chapter 9, we have just gotten this rapid fire, one after another, of thematically related sayings that could get a little bit overwhelming if we just don't slow down and and think about it every now and then. In those first few chapters, he reminded us of what he was going to teach, and he reminded us of the starting point of that teaching, which was the fear of the Lord. He reminded us that there's a choice between life and death. He reminded us that there's a choice between wisdom and folly, and those choices are linked. Wisdom leads to life, folly leads to death or destruction. And then he closed up once again, reminding us that we must begin, we must focus on the fear of the Lord. And we're actually reminded of the fear of the Lord throughout the entirety of the book of Proverbs. Ninety-nine times 
God's name is referenced in one way or another throughout the book of Proverbs. 87 of those 99 times are the word that is translated Lord for us, that covenantal name, Yahweh, I am who I am or I will be who I will be. We have for us 87 times throughout the book of Proverbs, which reminds us that the choice of wisdom is a choice of either following God or following the world. And Solomon gives us a little bit of a breather here in chapter 13 as as he gives us a series of verses in this particular chapter that remind us of the importance of wisdom. But Solomon being Solomon, he mixes some new instruction in here as well. So as we take this breather, as we review and learn some new stuff as well within the review, we will see that what we crave determines the path that we choose. What we desire chooses whether we will follow wisdom or folly. And as we consider that reality that what we crave determines the path we choose, we will see the benefits of wisdom. We'll take a brief look at the dangers of dishonest gain. And we will ask ourselves the question, what do you crave? First, the benefits of wisdom. Solomon opens up this chapter with another reminder of how a wise child acts. He heeds, he listens to, he embraces the instruction of his father. Solomon is reminding us that the teachings of wisdom come through the instruction of parents. And he even touches on a means by which parents use to teach in verse 24, where he says, he who spares the rod hates his son but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. It's important for us to stop and and consider something here, and that was the the Hebrew way of instruction in this time frame. If you notice throughout the book of Hebrew, far more is talked about verbal instruction than corporal punishment. This is the first time we've come across corporal punishment other than God's corporal punishment upon the sinner in eternity. It's the first time we've really come upon parental corporal punishment within the book of Proverbs. And that shows us the balance that the Israelites had between verbal instruction and corporal punishment. Corporal punishment was a last resort. If you had done everything that you could to verbally instruct and to correct your children, and there was just no other means by which your children to get the child's attention then corporal punishment was became involved. And it's important for us to highlight this because oftentimes as parents, the temptation is to jump straight to the last resort when it comes to disciplining our children. But the pattern within Scripture is verbal instruction with corporal punishment as a last resort. The danger of jump, there's two dangers in jumping too quickly to corporal punishment. Corporal punishment is valuable because it's rare. It works when it is used sparingly. And if we jump too quickly to corporal punishment, it loses its effectiveness. And believe me, the temptation is there. You think it's the quick way out of the situation. But the best way scripturally and humanly is to work through a series of instructions and teachings that lead up to the final, well, not the final corporal punishment, because in the law, in the first five books, there is a final corporal punishment for the ultimately 
incalcitrant, uncalcitrant child, the, the, the one who just rebels and rebels and rebels and there's no correction for him. There is a final corporal punishment. But if we jump too quickly to normal corporal punishment, it loses its effectiveness. And I need to make sure I understand, that we understand too, don't, don't jump to my default verbal instruction, which is yelling and screaming, but a reasoned discussion of the rules and the consequences should be our basis for disciplining our child. So the first danger of jumping straight to corporal punishment is that it loses its effectiveness. The second danger is that it can become abusive. Way too many people within the church and outside of the church have used verses like Proverbs thirteen twenty four to justify abuse. It's a heinous thing to do, to take God's word and to use it to justify abuse. If you have been abused, please talk to someone. Please get help. Please understand that you know the elders of this church and myself, we are safe people to come talk to about being abused. And we can help you through that situation. So Solomon reminds his son that the source of wisdom is the parents. And he reminds him of the benefits in this passage. It's, it is almost as if Solomon realizes that this rapid fire um, approach of sending each and every one of these sayings to his son is just becoming overwhelming and, and tiring and losing the forest for the trees. So he backs up and he reminds Rehoboam, he reminds us of the benefits of the prize of seeking wisdom. Verses 3 and, and 6 focus on the security that wisdom provides for those who seek it. it wisdom uh, is a guard to those who seek wisdom. While those who speak rashly, those who speak foolishly come to ruin. Verse 6 remind us that righteousness and wisdom guards the man of integrity. It keeps him. It holds him. It, it keeps him out of trouble. But wickedness will ultimately overthrow or destroy the sinner. Verses 9 and 10 as well as verses 20 and 21 focus on the guidance and peace that comes through following wisdom. Light shines through wisdom. We're reminded in Psalm 119.105 that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. And wisdom is the light that shines brightly upon the life of the wise. That wisdom is found in those who take advice. Excuse me. That in verse 20, those who walk with the wise continue to grow wise. And in verse 21, that prosperity, that peace within their life is the reward of the righteous. We see the guidance and peace that comes through following wisdom. And in both verses 13 through 18, I won't reread them again. But verses 13 through 18 focus on the life and favor that comes to the people who follow wisdom's teaching. Do you want a life of ease in the midst of difficulty? Follow wisdom's teaching. Seek to follow the teachings that God has given to us through his word, that God has given to you through parents, hopefully godly parents who sought to teach you God's wisdom. Wisdom has its benefits. Then he talks about the dangers of dishonest gain. We're going to be talking about wealth some more, much as we are going to be talking about speech for the next several chapters. 
and try and take a, a look at it through different perspectives and in different ways. But Solomon warns Rehoboam once again about the dangers of dishonest gain. Do you know wealth can be dangerous to people? We did talk about this a little bit in, in Sunday school today, that oftentimes we think of adversity being ways in which God disciplines us, but sometimes God disciplines us through pro- prosperity, through wealth as well. We are called to trust God. We are called to follow God with our wealth. We are called to pursue wealth in a godly way. But Solomon gives his son some dangers of dishonest gain in this particular passage, four in particular. He says that wealth can lead to pretense and dishonesty. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. How many of us are tempted to keep up with the neighbors, whether their names are Joneses or Honeckers? Most of us oftentimes will try to present a false front of wealth, a false front of prosperity. And where does that lead us? Leads us to maxed out credit cards. It leads us to trouble with the bank. It leads us to foreclosures and the loss of cars because we have overextended ourselves trying to pretend to be wealthy. How many people do you know that have maxed out credit cards because they have pretended to be wealthy? An even more difficult question, how many of you have maxed out credit cards because you have pretended to be wealthy? Wealth can not only lead to pretense and dishonesty, but dishonest gain can lead to a false sense of security. It says in verse 8, a man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. You know, a rich man can buy his way out of almost any situation. But sometimes that false sense of security can go away. The poor man doesn't really have to worry about a lot of the situations that the wealthy man does. We'll see later on in Proverbs, poverty brings its own set of problems. It's not raised up here to be more holy than wealth. But this false sense of security that can that can ease away, that can leak away at a moment's notice. We think we can buy our way out of any problem with wealth, which can actually lead us into greater trouble as we seek to buy our way out of these problems. Dishonest wealth can lead to poverty itself. Verse 11 reminds us that dishonest money dwindles away. Oftentimes people who steal, people who get money through dishonest means find that it disappears as quickly as it came. Whatever you think about the lottery, how many lottery winners have you read about who have gotten the money and within a year are more broke than they were before they won the lottery? It's because that wealth that was spent improperly and went away. But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. As you gather money little by little, you learn habits and that nest egg becomes secure as it grows And you learn the habits to spend so that it remains secure over a long period of time. And dishonest wealth can also lead to injustice. Verse 23 says, A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. The picture here is a man who is wealthy, seeking the means to protect his wealth by taking 
from somebody who is barely eking out an existence. Think of Nathan's parable when he confronted David after Uriah's murder in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan tells the story of a poor farmer who had one cute little lamb. He treasured it. He pampered it. He did everything he could to treat this little lamb like a child. This this lamb was almost one of the family is the picture we're given here. And then a wealthy man, a wealthy neighbor has company coming over. And instead of taking one of his many sheep, he goes to the poor man and he steals his sheep. In order to protect his wealth, he steals the sheep of the poor man to feed his company. Of course, we see this. This picture is David taking the wife and the life of Uriah. It's meant to convict David of his sin. But it's also a picture of the injustice that Solomon talks about right here. To where the wealthy, in order to protect their wealth, decide to steal from the poor. It's called injustice. And it's important for us to be clear about this. God hates injustice. God hates the abuse of the poor by the wealthy and the powerful. We've seen this already in talking about honest weights and honest scales. And we'll come back around to this later on in Proverbs. God hates injustice. He set up the laws so that the wealthy would provide means for the poor to work and to provide for themselves through work. And he made sure to be very clear in his law that injustice was not something he would put up with at all. If God does choose to bless us with wealth, we must be careful that we do not allow the love of that wealth to twist us toward dishonesty, toward a false sense of security, toward poverty, and toward injustice. And then Solomon reminds us, what do you crave? He asks us that question. Many commentators see verse 20 as the key to this. And it says, he who walks and right with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. But it's important for us to understand that that may be key to the teaching, but there's a key that underlines that as well. And that's found in verse 4. It says, the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The two words there, craves and desires, are based on a word that oftentimes throughout the rest of Scripture shows up translated as either soul or life. However, in many poetic uses of that particular word, it, it talks about desires. And as we consider the full meaning of that word, it talks about the desires of the heart, the desires of the soul. The English Standard Version translates this particular verse. Verse 4, it says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. What does your heart crave? We are left stuck with this picture, with this question in this particular verse. We are left exposed in this particular chapter. As I mentioned, God is referenced 99 times throughout the book of Proverbs. How many times in chapter 13 is God referenced? None. It should average close to three references per chapter in the book of Proverbs. Now, it doesn't average out that way. Most of them are concentrated in chapters 15 and 16, which is really quite interesting. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is also referenced near the end as the beginning of wisdom. 
And the most number of references to the Lord occur right smack in the middle of the book of the Proverbs. What do you think is the most important thing that Solomon wants to teach his son? It's the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. But here it is striking. It should strike us that there is absolutely no reference to God in chapter 13. And we are left with the soul searching question. What do you crave at the core of your being? Do you crave God's glory? Do you crave the fear of the Lord? Do you desire to be more like God? Or do you desire, do you crave, do you seek after wisdom? We have references to craving and desires, not only in verse 4, but in verse 2, verse 5, verse 12, verse 19, and verse 25. It is a theme of this chapter. What do you crave? It is no secret that one of the biggest effects of 2020 of this pandemic and all the junk that is going on in this world is the collateral damage of despair. It's the it's the mental health issues that have been exposed and and made worse through the different be they good results or good attempts to fix the situation or not there has been collateral damage. And I think much of that, especially in the church, especially within, that, within my heart, has been the exposure that what I crave before God is worthless in this world. The political upheaval, the pandemic is odd for us in the West, in America and in Europe. It's in, in the majority world, in the developing world, it's actually normal. But we've been comfortable for a long time. And in our comfort, we have built up desires and cravings within our heart that are not God. And this pandemic has laid them bare. We, I, crave control. And in the midst of this pandemic, I'm confronted with the fact I have none. We as a culture, we as a church crave distraction through technology or distraction through pressure. And we find that nothing we can do can keep all the bad news at bay. We cannot be distracted enough in the midst of this. We crave the peace of nature. And yet we're confronted with the fact that the nature in its groaning under the weight of sin has produced a deadly virus. We crave the numbness of substance abuse, but find that the world is actually worse when we wake up tomorrow because of the relational wreckage we've left behind and because the problems are still there. We can't numb them away. Honestly, it seems like we are seeking the contentment of Philippians 4.12 without the power of the Christ in Philippians 4.13. Paul says in Philippians 4.12, whether I have a lot or have a little, I am content. Because I can do all things in verse 13 through Christ who strengthens me. We seek the contentment of Philippians 4.12 without the Christ of Philippians 4.13. And that puts us on dangerous grounds. Just as lying shows that our allegiance is to Satan rather than God, seeking peace and contentment apart from Jesus shows an allegiance to ourselves and our own glory 
rather than God's. Paul's sense of contentment in plenty and in want was tied to the cross, was tied to his standing before God, his reconciliation before God because of the work that Jesus had done. And his pursuit of the glory of the God was so strong that no matter what happened to him in this world, he was content. In fact, at one point he went so far as to say, I consider the struggles, the sufferings, the destruction of this world to be nothing compared to God's glory that awaits me. And Paul's message to us throughout most of his letters is that through union with Christ, your soul cravings, the desires of your heart have been changed to be in tuned with God's glory. Act like it. Brothers and sisters, in union with Christ through the work of the cross, our our sinful nature, our sinful desires, our sinful cravings have been crucified in Christ. And we have been given a new heart that desires the glory of God. We need to act like it. We need to live like it. We need to desire and to crave God's glory. And as we understand that, as we pursue the reality that is ours through Christ, we will find ourselves walking the paths of wisdom, the paths of God's glory. Henry Skugel said, the worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its love. What do we love, brothers and sisters? The the worth and excellency of our soul is measured by the objects that we love. Do we love things that will pass away? Do we crave and desire peace and reconciliation with things that will ultimately be either remade or destroyed? Or do we seek the cravings and desires of God. Now, I understand talking about changing heart cravings, heart desires is difficult. So how do we do it? I'm going to steal from Dr. Welch once again. We mentioned him last week. In his book, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, he gives us a process for change. The first thing we must do is engage the battle. Sometimes we need to separate ourselves from the objects of our affections. For the addict, this is very easy. You separate yourself from whatever you're addicted to. You don't touch it. You stay away from it. You don't put yourself in a situation. For those of us that have more, I don't know, acceptable cravings and desires that are against God, that might be a little bit more difficult, but you have to separate yourself. This is the, you know, if if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter heaven maimed than hell whole. Secondly, not only after engaging the battle, we turn to Jesus and commit ourselves to keep turning to Jesus. It's going to the cross and reminding ourselves that our cravings, our desires that are sinful have been nailed to the cross, that they have been crucified, and that we have been raised to life, raised to glorious cravings, raised to glorious desires. Number three, surround yourself with wise counselors. Be a part of a church. Be willing to share your struggle with others. The struggle with your sinful desires, your struggle with your sinful cravings. And also be willing to hear and to listen as people share. You know why secular support groups do so well? Especially within the church. It's because we've lost this part of being in the church, I believe. Are we willing to share? Are we willing to be recipients of someone who shares with us 
And to be one of those wise counselors, one of those people who brings life because they seek advice. Speak honestly about your cravings. You know, we we kind of dance around our cravings. We kind of dance around those things and we say things like, oh, it's not that bad. I don't eat that many potato chips. I don't I don't yell at that many people on the road. I'm not that mean to the people I love. But we have to be honest about the things we crave. I crave control. I crave nobody messing up my schedule. Nobody mishearing anything I said. Nobody whatever that breaks my control. I need to be honest about the fact that I crave control. We need to be honest and to speak honestly about the things that we crave. We need to commit ourselves to thinking God's thoughts about our cravings and wise livings. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we need to be honest about with God and realize that He calls it sin and that we should repent. We should engage the battle at the level of the imagination. We can physically stay away from whatever it is that we crave, but if in our mind we're just sitting there the whole time saying, Okay, I'm going to stay away from it so everybody thinks I'm holy, but man, I really want to eat a family-sized bag of potato chips right now. Engage the battle at the level of imagination. Don't even let the thoughts enter your mind. And finally, delight in the fear of the Lord. We need to shift ourselves from the fear of the Lord being fear of retribution. And realize that because of the work of Jesus reconciling us to God, what the fear of the Lord means for us is that we are secure as his children. And wherever we stumble along the way here, because we will, Paul didn't get it perfect. You and I aren't going to get it perfect. Jesus is the only one that did. But wherever we stumble and fall along the way, God does not look at us with judgment. He looks at us with the love of a father. And yes, sometimes the loving father disciplines. Sometimes we don't hear his verbal instructions enough and we have to be chastised. But he even does that in love. And we need to find delight in the fact that we fear God, that reverential awe should bring us delight as we struggle against our cravings. Brothers and sisters, what is your soul worth? God said it was worth his son. What do you say it's worth? The worth and excellency of your soul is measured by the object of your love. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, turn our hearts towards you. Help us to crave you above all things. Help us to desire you above the things of this world, the things that we cherish the most in this world. Help us to desire you more than them. Help our desire for them to seem, for you, to make it seem as though if the world were to look in, to make it seem as though we hated the things of this world. Lord, help us to set aside our distractions. Help us to set aside our desires for control. Help us to set aside our desires for numbness. Help us to desire to set aside, help us to set aside our desires for peace. Any of those things that come outside of you, help us to set them aside and seek and crave you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes once again from the hymn book. And it is hymn number three.
Praise ye the Lord. Ye heavens adore Him. Psalm 19 reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. We get an opportunity to join in that praise by standing and singing hymn number three. Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore Him. Solomon deals with heart cravings in this chapter. And when it comes to the things of wisdom, oftentimes we can handle the external things of wisdom. At least we can fake them. It's far more harder to dig out those heart cravings that are left behind. But, but God. And so take this blessing with you as you go this week and as you consider the struggle of digging out those heart cravings. Now may the God who is at work within you right now doing far more exceedingly than you can think or imagine, may He be glorified forever. Amen.